suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener, the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist, with me from the UK, back in Australia, Joe the Tech Guy. How are you, Joe? Evening all. And not with us is... um, well, our, our little velvet glove from regional Queensland has come down with COVID. In fact, he came down to Brisbane, maybe he brought COVID with him or he quickly got it while he was here, but he's gone back with COVID and he's not feeling real well. So he's having, I'd say he's just in bed right now asleep. It's past his normal bedtime anyway, but he's not well. So it's just uh, Joe and I. Joe, you don't have COVID, but you had a Crohn's episode that you'd Managed to overcome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was an we interesting Saturday the, night. Yeah. We won't go into the details of it, but uh, oh, as regular listeners would know, both Joe and I have Crohn's disease. Joe's case is a lot worse than mine. So, um, yeah. Oh, well, thoughts and prayers got you through, Joe. Yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, just the two of us, episode 415. 29th of January 2024, and what are the topics? The topics will be uh, Scott Morrison, finally gone. Stage three cuts, stage three tax cuts, finally. Labor's done something about them. Um, And we'll look at Gaza, the South African claim of genocide by Israel, the ruling by the by the International Court of Justice. And then an interesting thing about, there's a, another group, the UNRWA, which is uh, a group that does a lot of the on-the-ground work of distributing aid in Gaza. And Australia and a bunch of other countries decided to stop giving them money, incredibly, and a little bit about Yemen. So there we go. Things are starting to finally happen in Australia in terms of politics. Everybody has been away and doing nothing, but so we've had a little bit to talk about about Australia. So maybe a bit more happen over the next few weeks. Right. Before we start, Joe, I was playing squash at a different squash club down the coast on the weekend. Played this guy. Uh, he was a good player. Beat me. But afterwards, start talking and then... Um, it became clear that he was an anti-vaxxer. You just can't spot them. And they start opening their mouth and you go, oh, no, you're not heading in this direction, are you? Oh, you are. Oh, really? I, I was staying with my sister-in-law over Christmas and um, she revealed that she was very sceptical of um, the COVID vaccine and... Yeah. Uh, you know, started trotting out some stuff and I just tuned it all out. I wasn't going to have the argument. You know, you know, 
if a bunch of Mormons knocked on the door and wanted to start talking about God, you could invite them in and have a conversation about about it, and the and it would be enjoyable, and you could disagree on things. But with these anti-vaxxers, like I started briefly with this guy, just going, well, what about the peer-reviewed studies and whatnot? Oh, you know, the, basically dis- dismissed every peer-reviewed study that existed, and unless it agreed with him, yes, and 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 just just dismissed it out of hand as being people who were, um, um, you know, had an agenda and were on the payroll of chemical companies and pharmaceutical companies. And and I said, you know, peer review in journals, like the people doing the reviews are not in the pay necessarily of anybody. And I said, you know, you've got people like tenured professors who are guaranteed a job at their university and so they're not beholden to anybody and he just wouldn't accept that that was the case and that they had to be under the control of pharmaceutical companies and you just strike these roadblocks where normal evidence is just thrown out the window. You just don't know where to go to from there. I mean, there are problems with... Um, some of the studies that are published, mm. um, but the, the the process is robust. Um, there needs to be things to make it more robust. We know that positive studies are much more likely to be published than negative studies. There are problems with it, but um, the the interesting thing is the people who will quite happily deny the studies that show evidence against what they believe will willingly jump on a study that's published that shows what they believe yeah what they do believe yes Uh, and you're saying you know how do you know the difference how do you know what's a good study and what's a bad study other than it agrees with you or it doesn't agree with you yes you just hit these roadblocks with them another guy i was talking to about um uh a different guy different issue uh, climate change and uh, maybe it was about nuclear power and renewables and and I was talking about the levelised cost of energy mm-hmm. and and he was poo-pooing the idea and he said, well, where do you get that information from? I said, oh, from the CSIRO. And he goes, well, you can't believe a word they say. <laughs> and it's just like... But no, because they've well, been captured by the fossil fuel industry, <laughs> haven't they? <laughs> well, it's just... Well, where do you go to? Oh, when the, well, when, the, the, the scientists haven't, but their management. Do you not remember yeah. they were they weren't allowed to mention climate change? The CSIRO were banned from on high. I don't remember that one. I don't remember that one. But um, anyway, you know, you, well, you just can't quote any reputable authority, and it just gets dismissed out of hand. Well, then it's all just opinion, and we just yell our opinions at each other. Is what you can do, and I just wasn't. It, yeah. On. Well, no, no. I mean, it is. It's very much uh, um, my ignorance is equal to your 30 years of experience. Mm, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, you know, when people say, why should I trust you? I'm saying, don't trust me. Mm. Go off and, and find what the experts say. Mm. And, and not the one expert that agrees with you, but the 99 experts that don't agree with you. Find out yeah. why they think that other guy is wrong. Yeah. And, and ah. you know... My my argument is science is a, 
a process of argumentation. That is normal. When it fails over into the mainstream press, that's because the person on the losing side can't convince his peers that he's right. Right. So the only reason Mm. we're having these arguments in the popular press is because the person can't convince the experts who actually understand and know the difference. Mm. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just you just you run across so many roadblocks with these types of people. I think I think next time I'm just gonna and it was in an environment where it wasn't really conducive to a debate and I almost like just felt like saying to him, We're clearly gonna get nowhere, but just for the record because you're just not going to accept any facts or information I've put forward. You're full of shit and I'm not going to convince you of anything, so why don't we just leave it at that (laughs) and move on and agree to disagree. But they're very vehement. They're so – they get really angry, very emotional, very passionate. They're the most passionate, vehement arguments of a topic you'll come across. Um, Anyway, that was my – my week, Joe, my little event mm. on Saturday. Mm. Now, for some good news. Scott Morrison, he's quit. He's going to leave. Oh, no. Be a, yes, finally. How are we going to survive without him? Well, how's his this podcast going to yeah, This podcast has struggled for content since the guy got kicked out. Because <laughs> he was a goldmine of, content, of well, content for a podcast. Yes, I'm sure you've still got the Governor General's wife, haven't you? Yeah. Is it still the same guy? Is he still there? As far as I know. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's going. Um, he's joining an American defence firm called American Global Strategies. And this is the same Prime Minister who signed AUKUS, Australia up for AUKUS. So he's joined a defence group who makes money, obviously, from beefing up defence purchasing of various com- countries. Ah, that's about the only place that would end up... I'm sure it's all God's plan. Yeah. I thought he was going to end up a preacher, actually. Mm, Apparently they wouldn't have him. Yeah, possibly not. The shovel um, provided an interesting slant on it. Um, They said, leading economists say it has never been easier to find work. With one company so desperate for workers, it was left with no choice but to hire a lazy, talentless, cosplaying, glorified sales rep from the Shire. Quote, the unemployment rate is now officially zero. The country's least employable man has found a job. (laughs) That's a good one. Uh, Human resources expert Jessica Bailey said she'd never seen anything like it. You know, employers are struggling for talent. When they're offering a job to a guy who once miscalculated a budget by $60 billion, forgot to order vaccines during a pandemic and had to ask his wife whether rape was bad. Oh, I mean, imagine the reference checks on this guy. His former colleagues have described him as a horrible person, a fraud and a complete psycho. The French president called him a liar. Uh, There we go. And that was the nicest thing you could say about him. Yeah. Bernard Keane, writing in Crikey, he says that ScoMo was in many ways the culmination of long-term trends within the Federal Liberal Party rather than a genuinely new figure. So not merely its infiltration and shift to the right by extremists, climate denialists and social reactionaries, but a, a complete transformation into a money-for-policy racket in which political donations 
and provision of post-politics employment with a primary determinants of policy. So, yeah, certainly looking at people like uh, Christopher Pine and others who end up in these jobs with companies that they were dealing with when they were ministers. It just should not be allowed. I don't care what period of time transpires. Uh, It's just reached the point where you have to worry whether decisions have been made with a view to getting a job after politics. Yeah. There's got to be something done about it. Mm. So um, so that was Bernard Keane. I reckon ScoMo is uh, more than just the culmination of long-term trend because he brought in the whole Pentecostal sort of idea. We had Abbott with the Catholics. Um, oh, and we the, had John Howard. Yes, the Methodist. I, I think he's Methodist, John Howard. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. He was certainly very very God on his sleeve, wasn't he? Yeah. Those guys were just the more traditional religions, whereas Morrison has dragged in these evangelical muscular types. That's a new – I guess that is a continuation of a trend from just traditional religion to the more extremist. Yes, o- it is. Although being seven ministers at the same time. Yeah, that was new. Was. Yeah, yeah, appointing himself, yeah. So thinking of things he did, um, highlights, greatest hits, as it was described by Crikey, um, the time he uh, accidentally squished a kid when it was supposed to be a fun little football mm-hmm. game, um, the time he had to go at welding. Joe, have you ever done welding? No. Yeah. Neither I, have I. I, I I do know that you're not supposed to not use a welding goggle, though. He must have really damaged his eyes with that. We never found out afterwards, but... Well, I think it was possibly short enough time that it didn't do much. Either that or it felt like somebody threw sand in his eyes for a couple of days afterwards. Yeah. You only need a flash, apparently, and... Okay. And you're going to be in pain for quite a while. So he must have been, but we never heard about that. Um... The Sri Lankan tamarind eggplant and okra curry, which was that chicken curry that was clearly undercooked. Mm. Yeah. And his secret self-appointment to various ministries. That was just plain weird as well as corrupt. And, of course, his fingers were all over the robo-debt scheme, which was revealed subsequently to be a horrible thing that was inflicted on so many people. So goodbye and good riddance to Scott Morrison and goodbye and good riddance to the Stage 3 tax cuts, Joe. How long have we been rabbiting on about Stage 3 tax cuts and oh, the need? Six months, a year, I don't know, sometime. Yeah. No, longer than that. Ever since ever since they got elected, even before the election, because in the campaign leading up to the election. That's true. They had rolled over and said, uh, don't worry, we're on board with these stage three tax cuts. And and we and a lot of other people were going, for God's sake, have some backbone. Because it was clearly a wedge issue where yes. they were worried that in an election campaign, the Liberals could successfully run a campaign about uh, high-taxing Labor government. So why didn't they do then, Joe, what they did 
what they offered now, which cleverly was we're going to give the same amount of overall tax cut, we're just going to give it to different people, mm. mainly the poorer people rather than the rich ones. So it's obvious, isn't it, to just say, well, you can't accuse us of not, of not reducing tax. We are. It's just that we're reducing it to a different group of people. And, yeah, to, to and, people who need it. Yeah, and to go out in an election and argue the case. Why didn't they do that then? Because they didn't want to give the slightest hint of a possibility of Murdoch banging them. It would have been such... Um, as it's, maybe as it's Murdoch has now. been become more and more toothless. Mm. Maybe, maybe there was an argument he made that at the time Murdoch still had a bit of sway, but... I think we've realised that Murdoch's reign is over. What I've been listening to, I was listening to Paul Bongiorno on 7am podcast and what he said was that really Albanese had to be dragged kicking and screaming to this decision and it was the treasurer, Jim Chalmers, who is the one saying we need to do something, A, because the cost of living crisis has got a lot of people out there saying, you know, you're not doing anything to help with the cost of living crisis. And B, this is a really shitty policy to be uh, to be running as a tax cut. So uh, apparently, I, I Joe... I think they're worried about greens. And it's the only thing I can think of. They're worried that they're going to lose votes to the greens. Yeah, but it strikes me as extraordinary that it seemed like Albanese was almost the last person in the Labor caucus to be convinced of this. What's well, going on in that guy's head? Well, I, I think all of Labor are um, almost as bad as the Liberal Party. Mm. They are they're just in the pocket of business, big business, yeah. the top end of town. Yeah. Landon Hardbottom's arrived in the chat. He says, I'm a bit late. Have they said anything interesting yet? <laughs> well, Scott's sick with COVID, tucked up in bed, Landon, so... He's looking for thoughts and prayers, if you'd like to offer him some. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, with these tax cuts, if you're wondering what it means, there's a graph on the screen and essentially the people on lower incomes, what's the uh, median or average? Well, I forget. The average, I think, is about 76. 70, oh, is that maybe 80. I think the average is about 80 and the median is okay. about 55 or 60, I think. Sounds about right. Yeah. So um, so people on, say, 60,000 previously were only going to get a 375 cut. Now they're getting 1,179. Uh, people on 100 grand previously getting 1,300. Now they're getting 2,100. And for people on 200 grand, previously they were getting 9,000, now they're getting four and a half. So the lower levels, I mean, people on 30,000 and 40,000 previously weren't going to get any tax cuts out of this stage three. So there's a lot of people, Joe, that mm -hmm. the Labor government will be able to pitch to at the next election if this becomes an issue. So, well, they said uh, it's a, a, a six to one uh, ratio. Yes. So for every one person who's going to lose out under that, six people are going to gain under it. Yeah. 
Uh, and really, if you're earning under 150000 a year, which is going to be 90% of the earning population, mm. you're going to do better off under this. Yes. So good luck, Liberals, if you want to go to the next election. So, um, so uh, an article in the Saturday paper said... Um, this left the coalition in its standard position, promoting the interests of the already well-off, but from a more exposed place than usual. Deputy Opposition Leader Susan Lay rashly promised the coalition would roll back Labor's package uh, if, you know, if the Liberals got into government. And uh, Marquee lawyers quipped on X that Lay had made a solemn pledge to increase income tax for everyone earning less than 150000 a year while reducing it for everyone earning more than that, which was funny and literally true, but also an indication of how detached from real life the coalition has become. So Lay's line was so I think she walked so it far. back. Yes. Uh, she walked it back. Walked it back the next day. Yep. But um, that's how out of touch they are. But so we've been saying for so long now, this is an easy sell, just do it. Well, anyway, they've eventually done it. So, so Joe, you mentioned what, uh, will, you know, News Corp, does it have the power that it used to? Mm. Will it be able to do something with this to help the Liberals, the Conservatives in the next it's election? It's been trying its hardest, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, there was an article again in Crikey looking at the uh, re- reaction of different newspapers uh, the nine papers had it both ways, uh, calling the move a flip. So the Sydney Herald, Sydney Morning Herald described it as a flip, but also quoted Angus Taylor's description of the move as a betrayal in the age. So uh, in both cases, emphasising the wider application of the new cuts. So Sydney Morning Herald headline was tax flip, a win for millions, PM says, and in the age... Bigger cuts for millions amid claims of betrayal. Um, Shane Wright from The Age in the editorial said, breaking a promise is one thing, a real plan for tax reform is another. And he said, political promises matter. Voters have every right to expect the informal contracts they enter into with political parties at election to be honoured. This is a cornerstone of our democratic system. But... In the ages view, there was a reasonable case to break the promise to deliver the third tranche of tax cuts due to begin on July 1. So there we go. That was the age. Sydney Morning Herald said, while some of the reforms signed off by Cabinet and caucus may well make sense, that does not absolve Albanese from breaking an election promise. And, of course, at The Australian, which is such a caricature now the headline was albanese's tax ambush pm's breach of faith on tax cuts could prove to be politically fatal said dennis shanahan and in the article he said something like you you were going to say something joe i I was about to say yes all those people who are earning over one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year who were going to vote labor will no longer vote labor that's going to be a big blow isn't it I think they were at the tennis the other night, Joe. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. In the speeches, they sort of mentioned the dignitaries who were there. 
and when Albanese's name was mentioned. Pretty heavy booing. Okay. Now, you could say that it's a tradition for Australians to boo their political leaders when they're mentioned at sporting events. If I was Prime Minister or Premier of a state, you know, Premier of a state or Prime Minister of the country, I would beg the announcers, please don't mention I'm here because I know I'd, be, I'd come in for a booing no matter how good a job I was doing. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, what did they say in the Australian? Um, uh, this is from the article. Albanese's move is not only a sneaky breach of faith but also cynical repudiation of the fundamental reform intention of the tax changes which were designed to eliminate the anti-aspirational and productivity dulling effect of bracket creep that pushed more and more taxpayers into higher tax brackets and provided lazy money for governments. What what did they say about John Howard and the GST then? Because I, I, I thought he had gone to the election promising that there wasn't going to be GST. That, that was different, Joe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But you see, Joe, you know, there were people on 150, 200, 250 who just weren't going to work anymore. Harder. Oh, of course, They were just yes. going to clock off early because yep. of, uh, well, they will now. Yeah. You know, had those tax, stage three tax cuts been allowed, mm. they would have been so head much down more and bum up, <laughs> nose to the grindstone, and the productivity of the country would have soared. Yes. Now it's not going to happen. No, because uh, people on 150K plus are... are vital cogs in the economy. Forget that six times the number of people yes, are now exactly. incentivized to the extent... God's sake. So, yeah, a bad day for aspiration, according to the Australian. And uh, the Herald's son, Albo's war on aspiration. The Western Australian stages of denial basically had um, Albo's face in a whole lot of quotes from the past where he said his promise to keep the stage three tax cuts. And Landon wants the, to know hmm? if he can clock off if he's earning over 200000 <laughs> yeah, Well, you've been disincentivised, haven't you, Landon? Obviously. Yeah, you will probably just clock off and go, oh, I'm not going to work anymore. Yep. Bastards are taking so much in tax, there's just no point. And the Daily Telegraph described... Uh, had a picture of Albanese with, he's now a liar, L-I-A-R, liability. So there we go. I mean, at least a few positive words in some of them and just exactly what you'd expect from the others. And uh, But it's going to be really hard for uh, the coalition to, to mount an argument going to the next election. Oh, yes, we'll reintroduce the stage three tax cuts. Mm. Yeah. I just can't believe it took so long, Joe. And that they went into an election. Ah, just, and that Albanese was the last one in caucus wanting to do this. It just doesn't all go well for the future with this mob. Hopeless. Ah, here we go. Um, Israel, Palestine, Gaza, Yemen. That's, that's good Yiddish there, Joe. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what did we have? We had South Africa applying to the International Court of Justice 
seeking a declaration of that, it was, that what Israel was doing was genocide of the Palestinian people. And the International Court of Justice refused to implement the most crucial demand, um, which was for a ceasefire. Um, instead, the ICJ, International Court of Justice, ordered Israel to take six provisional measures to prevent acts of genocide, measures that would be very difficult, if not impossible, for, to fulfil if Israel continues its saturation bombing of Gaza. So they didn't call for a ceasefire, but they said that Israel had to do a number of things which you essentially couldn't comply with unless you pretty much did a ceasefire. So translated into the vernacular, the court is saying Israel must feed and provide medical care for the victims, cease public statements advocating genocide, preserve evidence of genocide, and importantly, stop killing Palestinian civilians and come back in a month's time and report about how well you've complied with these things. So uh, if one of the requirements is to stop killing Palestinian civilians, then that would really mean you've just got to stop bombing this place. Otherwise, how could you comply with that um, requirement? So, Well, it's easy. Yes. They're, they're all future soldiers or possible soldiers. Therefore, they're not civilians. Therefore, you can kill them. You should be working for the Israeli government, <laughs> Joey. Yeah. So what did Prime Minister Netanyahu say about the International Court of Justice? He said, the decision of the anti-Semitic court in The Hague proves what was already known. This court does not seek justice, but rather the persecution of Jewish people. And National Security Minister Ben Gavir said about the court, they were silent during the Holocaust and today they continue the hypocrisy and take it another step further. That's really playing. I've heard of people playing the race card before, Joe. Mm. That's, that's really playing it there. Yeah, um, it's true. They were silent during the Holocaust. <laughs> and why uh, is that, Joe? <laughs> because they weren't founded until 1946. <laughs> yeah. I've got here 1945, following the Nazi oh. Holocaust, and the first case was submitted to the court in 1947. So, yeah, given they weren't founded, um, it's pretty hard for them to do anything. I guess he's right. Mm -hmm. They were silent. You're dead right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ah, rulings by the International Court of Justice are binding. However, the court has limited ability to enforce such measures. Enforcement relies on the UN Security Council to uphold judgment. And guess what? Uh, it's got permanent members who are able to exercise veto powers. Mm -hmm. I can think of one that might exercise veto powers. Ah, the Hague is anti-Semitic, according to Israel. Um, yeah. Oh, and Ben Gavir also tweeted, Haig Schmeig, immediately after the ruling was issued, which will probably go down in history as one of the most Israeli, as the most Israeli tweet of all time. So they don't give a shit what the International Court of Justice says because they take the view that the court is a bunch of anti-Semitic 
um, people who didn't help during the Holocaust and are not helping now. Um, in the show notes, you get a copy of an article by Caitlin Johnston basically saying that Gaza is exposing Western liberals for the frauds they are. And everything that mainstream liberals claim to oppose is on full display in Israel's actions in Gaza. Racism, fascism, tyranny, injustice, genocide. Yet they must necessarily avoid throwing themselves into opposing these things there at all cost because it would mean acknowledging that their own political allegiances are inseparably interwoven with them. Um, I'll just get one more paragraph. It would mean turning against Biden during an election year. It would mean admitting that their entire political posture against Trump all these years has been a phony performance because they're tacitly endorsing all they things they claim to hate about him. It would mean admitting their entire worldview is a lie and all their critics to the left have been correct. So people on the, who claim to be on the left who are endorsing Israel's position, according to Caitlin Johnson, are exposed as hypocrites. Joe? Do they really think that Trump would be any different, though? To... Uh, no. A, but, about Israel? No. But, I mean, Amer- but, American politicians are over the barrel when it comes to Israel and have been for many years. Yes. Yes. Uh, and they supported the, the the creation of Israel. They provided all the troops and the um, equipment against the British because it was a British mandate in Palestine. Yeah. So it was it was the Israelis with American equipment fighting against the British. Mm. I don't think they think... Um, I don't think the argument is that Trump would be any different. It's just that you claim to hate Trump because of A, B, C, D and E, horrible things, and if you go and look at Israel and what it's doing in Gaza, you can see A, B, C, D, E, horrible things, yet you're not condemning them as you would condemn Trump, I think is the argument. Looking for consistency. Complaining about the hypocrisy. Joe, I had never heard of, until the last couple of days, the UNRWA. Have you ever heard of this group? The the United Nations right-wing arseholes? (laughs) The United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees. Had you heard of it before? No. Heard of UNHCR, but that's Mm. the only one I'm aware of. Did you read about any of this in the mainstream press at all? In any? No. No. Yeah. Again, from Caitlin Johnston, and I've read it in other articles, the US and eight of its allies have suspended funding to the UNRWA, which is the primary humanitarian agency in Gaza. And the reason is following Israeli allegations that a dozen employees of the 30,000 that actually work for the UNRWA, so a dozen of the 30,000, according to Israel, were involved in October 7th attacks by Hamas. And for that reason, the US and a bunch of countries, including Australia, have decided we're not going to give this primary humanitarian agency in Gaza any more money. I find that incredible, Joe. Yeah, I mean, I can understand them demanding strongly that there's an investigation into why a humanitarian agency is 
helping commit terror attacks. And the UN has agreed to do that. Right. Then I think that's about as far as you can go. (laughs) To just then go, oh, of the 30,000 employees, 12 of them were Hamas because Israel says they were. I mean, even if it's true, well, big deal if 12 of them are and big deal if some of the aid has been siphoned off to Hamas or something in a way where it's not going where it's meant to go. But if most of it gets there, that's good enough for me. You just can't. I mean, Joe, could you imagine being in Gaza as one of these poor Palestinians? Like, it'd be hell on earth at the moment. And and the primary group providing humanitarian assistance just loses its funding from eight Western countries because Israel says a dozen employees are part of Hamas. And everyone goes, well, got to stop the money flow now, sort this out. Unbelievable. I find it incredible, including Australia. Well, I mean, did you honestly think Australia was going to do anything different? No. That's the sad part now. Just a lapdog to the US in all of this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Pathetic. Ah, Israel says they came across the information um, after interrogating militants who were arrested on October 7th. So uh, read torture for that, I would think, Joe. So Enhanced interrogation. Yes. As Caitlin Johnson says, to recap, accusations of genocide deemed credible by the International Court of Justice and the West says preposterous lies not worth opposing a single massacre over and then we have unsubstantiated claims about a dozen staff which uh, the claims are extracted via torture and apparently that's the gospel truth and worthy of ending humanitarian support for Gazans. That's where we're at. <sighs> that's where we're at. Incredible. Um, there is an Australian-Palestinian advocacy network. They have slammed Australia's decision and New Zealand hasn't frozen aid yet. They're going to wait for the UN investigation. And, um, yeah, this Palestinian group says that the UNRWA is the main service on the ground. Wow. I find that one incredible. Yemen, Joe. Here's, uh, let me just bring up a little clip from a lady who was interviewed on some sort of British, um, maybe a sky in Britain, I think. Um, and I think this lady's a filmmaker. I don't think she's got any particular high-powered role anyway. And anyway, I just like the straight talking of this. I don't see much straight talking like this whenever I used to watch the 7.30 report or things like that. People being brutally honest. So whether you sort of agree or disagree about the Yemenis, I just I like the straight talking plain English of this woman. Here we go. Have a listen to this. I mean, there are many who are saying that, frankly, the Biden administration should have acted sooner and faster, that hundreds of billions of dollars uh, has been put at risk because the Houthis have held uh, this area in the Red Sea um, at ransom. 
Sorry, so just let me get this straight, Yelda. So we are bombing the poorest, one of the poorest countries in the world that has been under a humanitarian blockade. There has been famine. These people have been decimated. And we are bombing them because a couple of guys in dinghies in support for the Palestinians who are having a genocide committed against them. They're objecting to that, and we're bombing them. Come on now. I mean, well, this is I, just an insane world for us to even think. I'm so sorry your Amazon packages are delayed. I really am. Like, I wish mine came on time. But, you know, genocide, guys, genocide. There are two mothers a day dying in Gaza right now. It's 109 days into a conflict in which a humanitarian crisis has been declared to the world day by in, the way, day out. By the way, Dr. Francois, there are many who are Yemen watchers who, are, who monitor and follow the Houthis who say this is doing wonders for their branding, actually, mm -hmm. that it isn't just the Palestinian cause that they're focused on. So call a ceasefire now and end the positive branding. If you want to stop the Houthis doing what they're doing, then call a ceasefire right now. the Houthis would, would stop doing what they're doing. If they have literally said that that's why they're doing what they're doing. They have not previously blocked those routes for any other reason except this one. So yes, I do. And I also think the West needs to start to understand that you can't just go around playing cowboys in the world. There are consequences to your actions. You cannot just go around bombing people's countries, ignoring international law and expect no repercussions. For every cause, there is a consequence. And just because you don't like a couple of guys trying to resist... I mean, these the fact are that this is now prescribed terrorists. Uh, sure. According to Western governments, well, they are also according governments. to the Yemeni people. Yeah, which is the Saudi-backed mean, government, yeah. which is essentially our... But, but the Yemenis who live, uh, you know, under Houthi rule talk mm. about the fact that this group continues to terrorize them as well. Yeah, that's, that's, that's I'm no fan of the Houthis, apart from when they're blockading in favor of a ceasefire, which should have been called a long time ago. Uh, uh, Bill, brother, I'm just going to bring you into the conversation. <laughs> we started the whole conversation an hour ago about um, how, how you can't afford housing and your generation and so on and so forth. These people are creating a total trade um, blockade um, it, which is causing inflation, which is causing all sorts of problems to everybody. I mean, 25,000 people are dead in Gaza right now. There are over 60,000 people injured with no access to food, water, aid. How dare we have a conversation about trade when there are children right now being treated without anesthetic? Well, the there are things that, that require us to make some sacrifices. They do have the global economy, global markets hostage. Good for them, Bill Brother. Good for them. Cease fire now. Thoughts, Joe? Uh, apparently, everything is excusable if um, cause. I think mm -hmm. you pick you pick a fight with an international trade route, no matter your excuse, mm. because it wasn't just Israeli shipping that they've been attacking. They've been targeting anything and everything. Uh, uh, is that the case? Is that the case? Well, uh, but <laughs> certainly it's enough to have scared the people using that shipping channel. Um, well, well, Maersk, which is a Danish shipping company that actually is mm. US owned for some reason, mm. um, have well, been targeted. Because, because the US and the UK have bombed, bombed the Houthis, they're now they, saying. They were, they were targeted saying, even okay, before then. Well, no, because, because they've bombed the Houthis, the Houthis have said, okay, it's not just Israeli connections now. If you've got a US or UK connection, you're up for grabs. And so just cycle back to, 
prior to the bombing and whether the Houthis were um, uh, attacking ships that did not have an Israeli connection. It's actually really hard to tell um, whether they were getting it right or not. It's really hard to know um, a whole bunch of stuff related to it. I was listening to your mate Perun. Oh, yeah. On, did you listen to him on this issue? Uh, yes, a couple of weeks ago. I think I fell asleep, yeah. though, because Jeff. He wasn't very, yeah, he wasn't very convincing about it. I think, uh, right. so I think because John put me onto it and, and I found him very unconvincing. And anyway, it's really hard to tell where the truth lies on any of these things. You know, whether Houthi's pretty good in only attacking Israeli ships or Israeli connected ships or ships that were going to deliver stuff to Israel or deliver stuff from Israel, really hard to tell. And then even things like, well, what do the Houthis on the ground want? Are they happy with this government or not? Who knows? Who knows? Like that commentator or that lady on the Sky News says, oh, the local people are, think the Houthis are terrorists and don't like them. Like, who knows if that's the case? Well, look, it's really Saudi Arabia-Iran proxy war, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the Houthis are, are, on the one hand, freedom fighters. For the Iranians, One man's freedom yes. fighter is another man's terrorist. And who knows where the truth lies? We just don't know. So very difficult to, to say with any conviction those sorts of things. But anyway, I like the straight talking of that lady. So um, <laughs> Landon says, Trevor, this is why we need submarines. <laughs> so, so we could ship. Um, our Amazon products through the Suez ah, in a submarine. I, I was wondering where the uh, submarines think, were coming from. Okay, that makes yeah. that makes more sense. Yeah. So, um, good point, hmm? Landon. Good point. Hadn't thought of that. Yeah. And that's why we need really big submarines. So maybe there's yeah, so more big, packages on board. They won't be able to submerge properly in the canal or in the. Talking yeah. of international shipping, I sent some packages from the UK back home. Hmm. Um, at Surface Mail, mm-hmm. and they came in, I think, two and a half, three weeks. Pretty good. I was, yeah, I was shocked. I was expecting months. Mm-hmm. They did Cheap. look like they'd been played football with. Uh, 28 mm-hmm. bucks for two kilos. Okay. Coming all the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. So, Yes. I don't know if they came through the um, Suez Canal, though. Mm, don't know either. So what a lot of them are doing are making it clear that they're Chinese ships and Chinese-owned and and then they're getting through okay. So, yeah, is uh, the PLAN there or not? I don't know. I, I think there's certainly been murmurs from China that there would be a naval presence if required. But China would in the to stop the Houthis. Yeah, if if Chinese ships are getting right. attacked, I think the right. Chinese navy would intervene. I think a lot of ships are going out of their way to say that they're Chinese because they know that that's a good move and that they'll be mm. let alone. Yeah. Ah, so anyway, um, maybe the Houthis yeah. need their cheap tat made in China. <laughs> uh, what else can I say about that? Um, yeah, I mean, the US sets up blockades everywhere all over the planet and that's all perfectly fine. 
just a bunch of Yemenis try and do it and all hell breaks loose. Just inconsistent, ever critical. Um, I've never seen the US shut down a major trade route. Well, the, the trade route to, to, to Cuba and to Venezuela and, and they, confiscated, they confiscated an Iranian ship, so, you know, selectively for people who resist, they will... They will to, to a single the, country. Block, I, yeah, I understand. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, it's the trade route to Venezuela. They'll block. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it wasn't the Panama Canal. No. You know, but they didn't have any UN authorization to do it. It was just we're going to stop ships going and doing business in this area without any international authorization other than the international rules-based order rather than mm. international law, yeah. So, um... Goddamn communists. Yeah. Um, New Zealand sent military personnel to target the Houthis. They've got a bit of a, a new conservative government there. Would not happen. Would not have happened under Jacinda Ardern, I don't think, Joe. Could you imagine New Zealand sending, like we did, sort of... A few guys to tap away at computers, um, assisting the US and the UK with their bombing of the Houthis. I don't think she would have done it, but the new New Zealand government has. So um, here we go. According to the New Zealand Prime Minister, Christopher Luxon, who said, a decision to send military personnel to the Red Sea to help bomb Yemen reflects New Zealand's values and a desire to protect the rules-based international order. There we go. That's uh, New Zealand. Finding allies, Joe, is is not as easy as it used to be. So let me just see if I've got it on this um, on this chart here. Hopefully, I do. Yes, put this one up on the screen for those playing along at home. So in the Gulf War, um, the Americans were able to uh, rustle up a coalition of thirty eight countries. The Afghanistan War, a coalition of 42 countries. The Iraq War, 48 countries. Syrian War, um, 13 countries. And the Yemen War, we're down to nine countries. So just interesting that it's getting more difficult to rustle up allies for these things. And some of the participation by these countries, fairly minimal, like, I think our participation is half a dozen guys tapping away on computers, um, ordering coffees and lunches for everybody, perhaps. So, it's crit- uh, critical intelligence. Yes. <laughs> um, and what else have we got here? Well, you see, the Gulf War was the coalition of the drilling, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, there was a chance to get some oil. Yeah. Yeah. Um,. Yeah, so really only the US and Britain are actively involved in the military strikes on Yemen. So everyone else is pretty low-key in their assistance. So so there we go. That's a roundup of um, Gaza, Israel, Palestine, Yemen, stage three tax cuts and the, dis- the disappearance soon of Scott Morrison from the scene. Joe, let's make a prediction. How will... How will we hear of Scott Morrison again 
in a few years' time, how will he pop up, do you reckon? I reckon he's going to be caught in some gentleman's lavatory. Right, with his with, pants with a, Yes, exactly, with a ramp boy. Right. Having bought some meth. Right, some sort uh, of... I mean, isn't that, isn't that the way that evangelicals go? It could be. Um, yeah. You know, they wouldn't give him any serious role to do. It would just be... It would just be payback. It would just be a sign oh, to future right. politicians. I, I think he's, he's going to grease the wheel, isn't he? He's, I, he's going to set up meetings with his former colleagues and... Yeah. I guess he's got to wait for a Conservative government to come yes. into power. And then we'll hear about Scott Morrison, the lobbyist, having well, organised mm. organised meetings with, uh, but without that, he's got no hope of being doing anything. I'd have thought. So, um, uh, when I was in yeah. London last week, I went round the Palace of Westminster, mm. which was an interesting tour. Why was that? Walking around the Houses of Parliament. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Any connection so, to Scott Morrison there or anything? No. Well, just, just, just one, to the the. The the uh, the corridors of power, right. see where it all happens. Yes, yep. Uh, which is interesting because you actually get to walk through literally the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Right. Yeah. Walk walk through. Well, just past the open door. Look in. No, no, no. Walk physically inside. They ask you not to sit down on the benches. But right. You get to That's... walk past the uh, dispatch box and the the, mm. the table where they all stand and talk. It's remarkably yep. small, isn't it? It is. Mm, um, they they said basically there's only seats for about half of the number of MPs. Mm. Um, so if there's a big vote coming, they all crowd in various places. Yes. Um, but they're not allowed to give a speech unless they're physically sitting down. Right. Yep. So, yeah, yeah that was quite interesting. Yeah. Can they all fit even if they're standing then? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's the mm. upper galleries as well above the the main right. house. Right. And so they, they get a few hundred more up out there. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Mm. Right. Well, Joe, uh, our best wishes, our thoughts and prayers go to Scott up there in Mackay, tucked away in bed. He might have just uh, gone to bed with a bit of um, lemon tea or something like that, battling COVID. And... Uh, Hopefully he'll be fine for next week. You're around next week? Yeah, should be. Okay, I am as well. Uh, to the people in the chat room, thank you for your comments. Uh, Watley only just arrived late again. Well, Watley, you'll just have to watch the replay. And, um, Joe, I'm going to go watch now that uh, new ABC series, which is looking at um, basically the Turnbull-Morrison-Governments and they've interviewed a whole bunch of the players, Barnaby Joyce and Tony Abbott and Christopher Pine and all these people, and talking about um, the whole shit show that it was. And I think a few of them are motivated to, to, to bag various players. So that could be an interesting expose of 
What a bunch of horrible munchkins we had around the joint. Well, I, I'm fairly sure there was a four corners on uh, Turnbull coming down. Mm. Was that Scotty? Came off Turnbull. Yeah, but it was it was basically about how the right wing had taken over. Yeah, that was quite an interesting one. Yeah, so I think uh, ABC has just had something uh, series that's just started. So okay. anyway, I'm going to watch that. And um, thank you in the chat room. We'll be back next week. Talk to you then. Bye for now. And it's a good night from him.